It is hard to argue against the idea that the world is built upon connection. From the tiniest atoms to nature and even technology, everything in our world depends on its relationship to others. Studies into human relationships tell the incredible story of the power of connection. Positive, healthy human relationships are linked to better mental and physical health outcomes. In today's busy world, we are asked to connect to others on a regular basis. And yet, there is often little understanding of the vast impacts our interactions have. Welcome to Season 2 of NFCC's Guide Through the Seasons of Mental Wellness, where we dive into some of the most common, as well as a few overlooked, relationships we experience in a lifetime. I am your host, Tracy Lehman, and I am honored to be a part of your day. Let's get into today's episode. According to Gallup, the workforce has lost 2 million female employees over the course of the pandemic, while all people who work and take care of dependent family members at home could use added support in the workplace. Based on recent polls, working moms seem to be taking the brunt of the load during the shift. This has caused many women to leave their jobs to devote more time to their roles as caretakers. Research also shows that mothers are valuable because they bring skills in leadership and office dynamics that better the work environment. As the trend of caretakers, most notably mothers, leaving the workforce has been noticed, many are stepping up to help employers develop skills to improve working conditions to keep these valuable employees. In our last episode, we explored employer and employee relationships and realized that this topic is just too big. It needed two parts. If you haven't listened to episode eight with NFCC's executive director, Mary Elizabeth Hand, be sure to listen to that one too, as we'll build upon that conversation and discuss more ways to improve inner office dynamics and better support our most stretched employees with today's guest, Claire Holmes. Claire is the founder of Mama Collaborative, which helps working moms learn how to set themselves up for success through digital courses, resources, tools, and an encouraging online community. After graduating from the University of Georgia, Claire spent over a decade as a marketing consultant, project manager, and training developer in the consulting, legal, retail, and nonprofit industries. Leveraging that and her personal experience as a full-time working mom of two, Claire's goal is to help moms move away from stress, overwhelm, and anxiety to find satisfaction and purpose in life. Claire, I'm so excited to have you here today. Thank you for being here. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk about this topic. Well, let's just dive right in then. So you have pretty extensive work history Can you walk us through kind of your journey a bit and how becoming a parent impacted that journey? Yeah, calling it an extensive work history is true. And I I wonder how much time we have because I could probably talk about this for a long time. My career path has been a winding one, but that has ultimately, I think, taken me to the right place. I graduated with my degree in advertising and was very sure that is what I wanted to do. And so I got my first job out of college at an advertising agency and very quickly learned it was not the right fit for me. 
which kind of threw me into, threw me for a loop, let's say. And I spent the next couple of years, maybe one could even say the next decade, kind of trying to find my purpose, which I think happens to a lot of people. But my roles that I've had through that journey, no matter the industry, whether it was working for a law firm or a baby interior design store or a nonprofit that I love so much, all of those roles have always been kind of with a marketing slant um, and project management. So a lot of time management, a lot of managing complex projects and lots of moving parts. So that's kind of where I have ended up shining. And I actually think I've had, I think I've had maybe like six or eight jobs in 12 years, which is a lot and kind of goes to that millennial Gen X, whatever generations are coming up trend, but I'm a firm believer in following your intuition and mine for a while said, Hey, this isn't the right fit. But I finally landed at this wonderful consulting firm where I worked for four years and did marketing and strategy consulting for a lot of big kind of corporate clients and law firms. And then when I, after I had my first son, when I was at that firm, maybe about a year and a half after that is when I started wondering if that was the right fit anymore and wondering about fulfillment and how that might look different as a parent. And so that actually led me to start my own businesses. So I'm now an entrepreneur. I own two businesses. One is Double H Design Co., which is kind of my my main business where I still do marketing consulting because I do love it. And I also help, I leverage my graphic design skills and video production skills to make custom family photo books and special memory keepsakes and do special videos like rehearsal dinner slideshows. So that's one job. And then my heart and my passion project and what I really love to do is Mama Collaborative, which like you said, is a company that's, we're just dedicated to helping set working moms up for success because unfortunately no one else is going to do it for us. And if you are a mom out there who's listening to this and you have a job outside of the household as well, you know that the juggle and the mental load and the kind of the struggle of that is all too real. And I know that's part of what we're going to talk about here today as well. But I am excited because Mama Collaborative recently has launched our first online course that will hopefully help support women going through this. And interestingly, we've started getting some interest from corporate kind of potential partners, because I think, you know, as I'm sure we'll talk about today, that there's a lot of interest and a need for employers to get into that conversation. Yes, absolutely. Oh my gosh, that's so exciting. I'm so glad to hear that. Yes, so much needed information. Gosh, I don't even know where to begin with what it's like being a working mom or a working parent in general, you know, dual parent households, I feel like are really difficult. I feel like we've built a society around single income earners. And then we required everyone to earn to support a family. And Mm -hmm. it's a big juggling act. Do you feel like, I mean, I'm pretty sure I know your answer to this, but do you feel surprised by that statistic about how many women have been leaving the workforce? I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. I'm saddened. I mean, but being in that position myself as a a mom who's in the workforce, I totally see why that's happening from, for women from every walk of life. 
caretaking, especially of children, but of other uh, sick relatives, aging relatives, but caretaking in the past couple of years has taken to the forefront of what we have to do to manage our lives and our families successfully. And someone has to do it. And so who is it? Is it if you're in a, if you are a single parent by default, it falls to you. If you're in a relationship, which of the two people does it fall to, or or how do you split that? And I think, unfortunately, the obvious answer is that someone has to take a back seat. And I think, unfortunately, moms are the the she fault or the default parent um, (laughs) in a lot of situations. So I'm not surprised. (laughs) Yeah. I like that term she fault, but it's true. You know, there's, there's a Ted talk. I don't know if I sent you this, the Ted talk about the household division and how we were not set up for dual income, dual earners and how just women still, no matter what, even if there's a dual income household, women just tend to take on most of the domestic tasks. Yeah. But, and it's so interesting though, because those same qualities, in my opinion, that make us maybe a little bit naturally predisposed to being good caretakers also make us really good employees and really, really needed in the workplace. So in general, I mean, we're talking about big picture in general generalities, right? Like, but in general, women tend to be more empathetic, a little bit more sensitive, can put themselves in other people's shoes, are willing to kind of be open-minded and listen to other people that's kind of that soft-hearted side, I think, that women and mothers have and, and bring to the workplace. But mm-hmm. also being a mom, especially, gives you a lot of really practical skills that you can bring into an office environment, like the ability to multitask and have discipline to get things done, kind of no matter what's being thrown at you or what noise is all around you, leadership qualities, you know, all of those things too. And so it's funny because I, again, I think that thing that makes us maybe qualified to be that she fault default parent, you know, Mm -hmm. also makes us super valuable in the workplace. So we need to appear in both. We need to show up in both. Yeah. And I think it sounds like corporate America and management America and HR America and all of maybe even globally are catching on to that. Oh, there was a book I was hearing about. And it's called, I think it's called Parents Who Lead. And it was fantastic because it was all about, I mean, I didn't read the book. So I just heard the the people talking about the book. So let me put that disclaimer. I have not read this book. Um, <laughs> but no, but it, it it's something I've been working on because I'm the volunteer. I'm like the, yes, I'll do it. I'll do it all person. And I was raised by, you know, a stay-at-home mom and she was involved in everything. So I have this desire to be involved in everything in my kids' lives. And at the same time, I really want to do a really good job at my job. I love my job. And finding that balance, striking that balance is so hard. So one of my goals, my resolution, so to speak, for 2022 is to like be really deliberate, intentional, and really work on making margin in my life, right? And because usually I'm like booked solid. And so like if anything goes wrong, I do not have room to like shift things around. And so, but having margin also means having time to like, if my kid's really expressing that they miss me, being able to make time for that and adjust for that and also self-care. Cause I was thinking about our talk today and something came, I was like, so when you start in the workforce, it's just you, you just have to worry about you. Then you get into a relationship or a marriage. 
then you have to worry about the relationship. I'm not going to say you have to worry about your spouse because they're an individual and they're an adult. They can take care of themselves. But the marriage needs to be taken care of and managed. Then you add kids and you're now managing kids' lives, a marriage, a job, and yourself. And so I don't want that self-care piece to get lost. And I feel like it does with working parents. Yeah. I mean, it's really easy by default to put yourself last on the list. Everything else can feel more important. Obviously your kids and your job, there's things that have to be done. There's deadlines. There's literal basic human needs for our children. We have to take care of beyond even the love and the, the growing them and raising them. But, you know, those things are always at the front in your job. You either want to and or have to keep your job or keep a job. And so, and then it's like, oh, the relation, your relationship, if you're in one, what are you supposed to do about that? Make time where you actually have energy and focus to give to that person. And then it's just easier to put yourself last somehow. But I think you're so smart to be thinking about kind of planning ahead, like broadly speaking, to create that margin for yourself and to not overschedule because you know that anything can happen every day, especially when you have kids. I feel like there's so many more unexpected situations that can arise that you'll have to rearrange your schedule or your work schedule. But yeah, giving yourself the margin to do the self-care. I actually... Over Christmas, my husband had COVID and he quarantined in our house away from us. I was taking care of our two kids. Luckily, we never got it. But being a single parent, basically, for probably probably like seven or eight of those kind of 10 days, I guess, that was really hard, very hard. And I was kind of embarrassed because I was like, oh my gosh, but moms who stay at home with their kids do this every day. This is this is real life. Like this, I'm a mom. This is my, this is part of who I am. I'm just not used to it because I usually work full time. I was trying to give myself some grace on that. But anyways, (laughs) one day of kind of well into the quarantine, my husband walked in on me, you know, this is embarrassing to admit, but I was just crying, like sobbing. And the kids were like hitting me. They thought it was funny. They were like, my kids are foreign to boys. They were jumping on me and I was like bawling, crying. And my husband was like, what are you doing to mommy? Everyone out. But that gave me pause and we talked about it. And I actually, today I went to a, and stayed at a hotel last night here in, in Houston. And just, but the point was I got, I just needed to be alone. And that was part of my self-care and that might not be for everyone, but pausing to recognize that there are moments where you need something big like that for self-care or finding ways to integrate that into your daily life, like alone time or whatever it is you need. I think that's one of the ways we can take care of ourselves as moms. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so wonderful and beautiful that your husband was able to see and be like, go get a break. That's see, that's teamwork. And I think teamwork yeah. is like a really big piece of what we're talking about today. So a couple of thoughts that I just had, like, there's so much, I know you said this is a hard thing to talk about because I think there's shame about like needing to get away from your kids. I think, especially for moms, I think dads get to say that all the time. Like they get to get away from their wife and they get to get away from the kids and that's all well and good because they're men. And then for women, I feel like there's definitely a stigma attached to anything, any type of dissatisfaction in the role of a parent. And so I know how vulnerable it is, but we all need that. We all need space away. Like 
we're born for connection, but we're also born for some, some breath, some room to breathe. And, Mm -hmm. and so I think, thank you for sharing that vulnerable moment. So I wanted to talk about, so something I love, I mean, I love Mama Collaborative. I follow y'all on Instagram. We at NFCC do. I love your little meal planning, how to get organized and how to get ahead on things, like all those things that help us create balance, create margin, right? If I'm not having to think about dinner every single night because I've planned ahead and I prepped, then I have some margin there, right? Absolutely. And I can use that margin to like spend time with my kids or take care of myself. I get to choose or my marriage, you know, like to put some time in my marriage. So I love that. But you did a lot of, when you were building Mama Collaborative, you did a lot of polling, I feel like, on Instagram and stuff, just asking working moms, like, what different things. What do you think, what did you learn? What did you, what was surprising to you? Just what did you get from all of that? That's a really good question. So very initially, like you said, when I was building out the concept for Mama Collaborative and kind of just seeing it, testing the waters, like, is this something people might want or need or do we not care? I surveyed over 200 moms through a pretty extensive survey um, because I also wanted to make sure that anything I was building would serve them well and was giving them what they want. But, and then, you know, through Instagram and social media, I kind of do, I feel like I do some regular little polls and questions and take the pulse of things, but overwhelmingly what I think surprised me in the beginning and no longer does is that moms are really, really, really burnt out. And most don't know what to do about that or feel that stigma and that shame of, but I'm supposed, I'm a mom. I'm supposed to, this is, I prayed for this baby. I wanted, we wanted children. Like this is one of my goals and I'm here now. Why does this feel so hard? Why am I so tired? Why am I resentful? So at first that shocked me a little bit that so many moms felt that way, but it also, as I've kind of regurgitated that and shared that back with the community, I think another thing is that it helps other moms not feel so alone, which is another thing that I think has surprised me through this process. And what I hear from moms is that part of what moves the needle for them as a mom and or a working mom is seeing other people go through similar struggles if for nothing else than to feel that connection and know that they are not alone, they're not weird, that they're so tired from work that they have nothing left to give to their kids, or they're not weird that they sat at their desk and cried the first day they returned from work after maternity leave. Other people are doing those things. And so I think opening the conversation around that is helpful. I think also in the past year, one of the things I've noticed through all the polls and the surveys is that a huge worry of parents is childcare, the state of childcare, especially when you are a working parent, Mm -hmm. because you, you know, there's a quote or a meme or something that is everywhere on the internet. That's like, you're only as good of an employee as you can depend on your childcare basically. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So whether that's a daycare or a nanny situation with COVID, there's been some school closures. And if your nanny gets COVID for two weeks, what do you do? And I think, knowing how many people are so worried about that and what it might mean for their careers is kind of heartbreaking. And, you know, I think then like the biggest thing overall that I get from what I learned from other moms through either private messages or like little questions and polls on social media or that big survey is that we all feel like we're supposed to, or we should be doing 
everything. Mm -hmm. Like we, and maybe we want to, right. Some part of us wants to, we want to be a good friend. We want to be a good employee. We obviously want to be a good mom and a good partner. We want alone time, but you only have, you know, so many hours in a day Mm -hmm. and you only have a hundred percent, you know, maybe less to give on any given day. You can't give 150%. You only have a hundred percent. And so I think moms are feeling that pressure and want to know how to help prioritize all the things. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I think it's really hard. I think that's something as a mom, as a working mom, I personally struggled with is the, I want to do all the things and I can't do all the things. And when you were describing that, when you're talking about the 150%, we don't have 150% in the hours in the day. I was like, it's so funny how often I look at the clock and I'm like, like right now I'm like, Oh my gosh, it's two 40 in the afternoon. Like (laughs) (laughs) the day's almost over. It feels like, you know, and it's like, did I get enough done? Did I get everything done before my kids get home from school? Something that I was blessed with because I worked at Nick Finnegan counseling center was because they are under St. Luke's is that we got their staff childcare. And I don't know many places that offer staff childcare, but that was one of the most amazing supportive things. It's right next door. I could go see them when they're babies. So three months old, they started and I thought it was going to be terrible and awful, but anytime I needed to, I could run over there. I had their teacher's phone numbers to text them. They'd call if the baby was crying for a long time. Like one of my kids were crying. I have someone like, it was just, that is support that most people don't have. And when you read news stories about, I mean, We could go into like a huge systemic conversation here because daycare workers get not the greatest uh, end of the stick either. And it's hard to find a good one. And it's hard to find one that you can trust to watch your kid and love your kid and not be irritated by the things your kid may or may not do. Right. And not make them feel bad. And so there's just so much thought and stress. And so, yeah, I think that is something that's really important for employers to hear, for corporate to hear, like. I don't know what that would look like. They're supporting that, but childcare is, is definitely a huge obstacle, especially right now during a pandemic. Yes. I think the ways that employers, every employer looks different. I know there's small companies, big companies, global companies that have different budgets for things and a different threshold for how they're maybe able to support their employees, their family employees. But I think at minimum, just being open-minded to the fact that a child's children exist and are in a, a childcare situation and may need that may need last minute changes. Just that understanding, it doesn't cost anything, right? To be like, Hey, let me tell you what, if you need to take your kid to the doctor or your nanny or the daycare calls and your, your child is sick, please don't worry about it. Our work will be, everything will be fine. Right. So the understanding and just being open-minded about that and having conversations about that doesn't cost a thing. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, the other options range all the way up to even, I wish an employer could offer a stipend for childcare. I know Mm -hmm. there's government policies maybe being put into place, hopefully that would help with that. But even, even if it's not a big amount, like, but an employer showing that they're invested in their employee and understand that childcare is necessary in order to retain that employee by maybe giving some sort of stipend would help even providing resources like 
like an online course or like a, a, a guide or a class on how to find the best childcare that could be helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, or then obviously at the top notch, and I'm talking to you, global, big companies who have the budget <laughs> for this, but, you know, providing childcare on site or in your building where, where maybe you work with other companies, like there just has, I believe there's a creative solution to this. And I just, it needs to get on the agenda of companies to understand how important that is. Like, mm-hmm. like it's actually really black and white. If your employees, whether a mom or a dad don't have reliable childcare, you won't have a reliable employee. Right. Period. right. Mm-hmm. And I feel like you're ahead of the curve on this. And I think we're moving in this direction, but I feel like there were jokes in like movies and films and maybe it wasn't even a joke. Maybe it was just hard truths about, well, if you're going to have a kid, then we don't want you to work for us. And if you could get pregnant, you know, I feel like that was like one of the big, I can't even think of what it was, but I've definitely heard stories where employees are like, well, just don't get pregnant this year to their, like these things around, put your family on hold for your business, like if you want this job kind of thing. I've heard horror stories yeah. about that, yeah. like from my, from real people I know, and from some of the women I've connected with, you know, through Mama Collaborative, where people literally will put you, bosses or your manager, um, or maybe a member of your team at work will put you on the spot and be like, I mean, this is your last baby, right? Like you're obviously not, you know, having any more or, Ooh, like, are you, do you think you're gonna get pregnant this year? Like it would just help us to plan if we could know. And like, <laughs> oh my goodness, I have tried to put myself in employer's shoes and being like, okay, sometimes I can understand that that might be a thought that could go through their head. Hey, it would be helpful if I knew if one of my employees was going to be out for a couple of months, who's a very important part of my company mm-hmm. and I value. Like I, I get like if it's coming from a good place, but there has to be a better way. There is a better way to talk about that, to support the person, the mom going through that and have a plan in place before maternity leave and after a maternity leave to where everyone is, feels good about it. Yeah. And there just has to be a better way, right? Like, no, we I agree 100%. I think that, comments. Yeah, no, I, I mean, so in general, because I think just the nature of what I do as a therapist is that everyone's behavior, everything people say, everything makes sense within the context of their lives and where they're at. So I imagine these people are like feeling immense stress, immense fear, immense anxiety. Those things kind of cloud your filter a little bit, make it a little harder for you to get to that top part of your brain. That's like, hmm, this isn't really an appropriate thing to say. And so then they're just blurting things out because they're in that emotional part of their brain. Yeah. But I think that that is part of what we're here to talk about today because right season two is all about relationships and that relationship between the manager and the employee is so important and valuable that communication piece there should be contingency plans in place but there also should be like this is what's going on this is the stress how do we spread it out there needs to be that relationship you know of back and forth yeah absolutely and i mean it's weird because I was thinking about this a lot too, ahead of our conversation today, you know, about the very interesting dynamic between an employer or like a boss and kind of the employee. And it's actually really, I guess, symbiotic or is is that the right word? It's like a chicken and the egg thing. They depend on each other. So, you know, employers need good employees to do good work, uh, to produce good work so that the company can be successful and ultimately make profits so it can continue to exist. So employers need employees and they need them to do good work. Great. 
And obviously an employee needs an employer to pay them money so they can live their life. So we depend on each other. So it's increasingly becoming widely accepted though, that for employees to do good work, we need to feel valued and we need to feel supported by our employers. So again, we both need each other, but there can be a breakdown in the cycle when the employee doesn't feel valued or supported. And that includes in their life things, right? Like being becoming a parent or caretaking of someone else. And so I just think that a huge part of the puzzle is that organizations have to take it upon themselves to find ways to really listen and to engage with their employees and kind of meet them where they are. And I think this has been coming for a long time, even not related to working parents, because I guess like we were talking about earlier, like millennials and Gen Y and Gen Z, we've wanted work-life balance even before we had kids, Mm -hmm. right? We want to bring our dogs to work. We want to go on vacation to Bali three times a year. I don't, whatever the thing is, right? I feel like millennials kind of started this trend of really needing to have more of a work-life integration in order to be successful at work. Mm-hmm. And that bleeds over into the working parent thing as well. No, yeah, that's a really good point. I think, yeah, I mean, we always have to evolve and, and progress and make changes. I think there is a lot of old generation mentality still out there. Work hard now, live your life later when you retire. But, you know, there's also how will my health be when it's time to retire? If I, you know, I can make plans to travel to Bali, but I might not be in good health by the time I retire and not be able to fly on a plane to Bali or enjoy Bali. And so it's kind of that. And then missing time with your kids and very valuable, important time and with your spouse, you know, opportunities. I think we need to value relationships more. And I think I can't remember his name who started the original Starbucks, but he had a theory and a lot of people have this, but like that job satisfaction starts from the top down, right? It flows down into others. And so I think it's a lot of One of the things I really noticed is that people in management positions just got promoted in management positions. They don't necessarily have training to work with other people well or manage other people. They don't know how to have that balance. They may be micromanagers. They may just be have trouble with accountability and not know how to give feedback, not know how to receive feedback, all those kinds of things. And there's not really a ton of training out there for that. And one of the things I think that's really important going back to what I said about how everyone makes sense in context is giving trainings in almost like self-care awareness. And I know that self-care term is like super overused, but if you are aware that like you feel like you sacrificed a lot of your life in your career and didn't, or in your family, like you didn't have kids until later or whatever, so that you could advance and somebody's in your workforce under you and they maybe had kids. And so you're, they're like asking for things around their parenting needs and you have resentment coming up about that because, well, I guess you should have waited like I did or whatever it might be. Or maybe you just didn't chose not to have kids and chose your career. I mean, whatever it is, is fine. It's the feeling that you have. It's these belief systems you have. And I think helping people develop that self-care, that awareness of their reactivity, especially in management roles, is going to allow them to have much better communication and relationships with their employees. Right. And I do One thing you said that really resonates with me is that I do feel like it starts, all of this starts from the top down, whether it's literally the CEO or an owner of a company or the leaders and managers within a company, 
But I think in order to build a culture where work-life balance and working parents and need the real life needs we all have outside of work, where that is more of a thing, we need to see the leaders who are willing to openly talk about it openly accept those things and kind of make it widely known and to sort of embrace that themselves. So when you see a boss who is actually taking off the two weeks at the end of the year, because his kids are off school and he wants to spend time with them and he, he or she tells the, the company, I'm doing this to spend time with my kids. That little thing, even just saying, adding that one sentence, not like I'm taking time off, I'm taking a break but I'm taking a break to spend time with my family. That sets a really good example and a tone for the culture within an office that trickles down or, you know, on the, on the topic of men and, and dads, guys have got to take paternity leave. A, it needs to be offered, but B, it has to be in order to to really build a good, a good workplace environment for women and for men and for all parents, men need to take paternity leave. And I have talked to, I know it that, I mean, don't even get me into the topic of maternity leave in America right now, right? But at least it's like, that's like a real thing people at least know is accepted and exists, whether it's in good shape or bad shape. Paternity leave is a little bit newer. Like some of the bigger, more cutting edge global tech companies, they'll offer like months of paternity leave, which is kind of amazing. I think Canada offers like a full year, which is kind of amazing. <laughs> but I know a lot of guys personally, or I've heard of my friends' husbands who are offered some form of paternity leave and do not take it because they're scared that they're, they're still scared that it's going to negatively impact their career. Worst case scenario, they'll be fired. But not only are they thinking about their career, but they're, they're worried about their wife's career too, maybe, or maybe she doesn't work, but it's like, if she takes maternity leave and she, then her job's kind of at risk because of all of these misperceptions around that. I have to be the one that goes back to work and I don't get to take this paternity leave or time off because I cannot lose my job. I have a family. And I just don't, I think when guys, men start embracing that more and actually taking paternity leave, they'll set a positive example for all of the employees around them, especially if they're leaders or managers. Yeah, no, I agree. That was really good. Um, I mean, so many things you said there were really good. So the values, yeah, values trickle down. Values are something like these are the values that I uphold as this owner of this company, and I am going to express them and display them so people know what we're really about, A. But B, also, yes, the paternity leave. I feel like there's this old school thinking. So I just read this really good book I actually talked about in, in episode eight called Mindset by Carol Dweck. It's it's phenomenal. It's all about growth mindset. But it talks about, so it talks about these different sections, like athletes, growth mindset versus fix and the growth ones. You can see how they continue to succeed. And like Michael Jordan, who originally wasn't even accepted onto a basketball team when he first tried out and how he kept practicing and trying and learning and taking feedback versus people who are just like natural talents. And then like people who believe they're a natural talent, as soon as they give up or fail, they give up on themselves. But it did that with businesses too, and these business models. and. It talked about like how Enron, as an example, had like a fixed mindset and that's part of what led them to total collapse and all the things that went wrong. But then there was also somebody who 
was like, I saw somebody who do, who was doing things different. And I thought that was a really good idea. And so I started doing things different, but this old school mentality, I feel like you find a lot in like banks and like the stock market, things like this, like that work hard men shouldn't, I hear this a lot. Like people will really look down on men in these specific, like old world industries for taking paternity leave. That's the woman's job. I've actually heard people say that's the woman's job from these industries. So antiquated. I think, and I hope that's changing, but Mm -hmm. I think that in particular where it involves men is moving at a snail's pace compared Mm -hmm. to the progress that we're pushing for and seeing for women and for moms in the workplace, but it's coming and it's needed. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. Cause I know there's definitely in men that I've worked with, there's so much fear around that job sustainability. It's that same idea. Like if I start being a parent figure, if I start putting my family before my job, my job is going to be concerned about my, how much, much work I'm doing, how much I prioritize my job and my job will become in jeopardy or I will be passed up for a promotion. Yeah. Um, I won't be able yeah. to be successful. Like so many fears circle around Fear being a sure. working parent. How do you think we talk, we're talking about this a little bit, but what do you think are important things for, or how do you think managers can nip things like that in the bud? How do you think we can, people in management positions can kind of help support moving forward, moving out of that mindset and creating more work-life balance environment? Yeah. I think there's like one piece, which is continuing to focus on and cultivate a culture of trust in the office for any, any topic, right? Like it's okay. If you come forward with an idea, constructive criticism, a problem, even, even a personal issue to some extent that maybe we can work with you on. So like the trust thing is so important, but I think another piece of it is is being vocal, I guess. I don't know how to say that, but when positive changes are happening or the company is able to respond to, maybe someone gave constructive criticism around like, well, okay, let's do a scenario. So a mom comes back from maternity leave, the area and where she's been pointed to do her pumping sessions to continue to breastfeed her child is severely lacking. As long as she feels comfortable to bring that to management, management or a company addresses that, that's great. But more importantly, then vocalize that to the rest of the company that A, we're at the type of company that we heard a problem, um, we recognized it and we we helped solve it. And we're open to that for anything, but especially for how we can help support your life outside of this company. So you're engaged and productive and happy at work. So I think. I think being vocal about changes being made within a company, big and small, are so helpful to demonstrate to your employees that you're listening. Because then I think, again, another cyclical thing that will help cultivate trust in the office and feeling like open communication is maybe not rewarded all the time if it's very constructive or negative, but welcome. And kind of that dynamic mindset that you're talking about as well, like we're open to change. So I think that's an important thing companies can do is build trust, listen, but then you have to report back to everyone saying, here's how I listened. Um, And this is what the changes we're making. Yeah. I think that's one way. Yeah. No, it's so important. Well, I was going to say to that too, just a closing thought, but everything I just talked about is kind of like a, if the tree falls in the forest, but no one's around to hear it, doesn't make a sound. employers should talk about every good and helpful thing that they're doing for employees. 
so that mm-hmm. a people know that they can take advantage of that thing and be again just kind of building their brand within their company and their culture sending out an email memo that something's been updated making an announcement at a company-wide meeting that we now have this new policy about for breastfeeding for moms or whatever the thing is. But I think employers, when they do make changes, should be bragging about it and telling everyone because again, sets a good example, builds the culture. Yeah, absolutely. And I think even before your employees, whoever it is, is, is when they start, I think you have to establish that trust. You have to establish that I'm here for you. And I think on both sides, like the employee and the employer, but I think it has to start the employer because of the power dynamic. Establish that collaborative, communicative. I'm genuinely interested in who you are as a person. I am genuinely aware that you are a human being with more than just a job. And yeah, and I'm going to be here to hear what's going on for you with from a place of constructive feedback, but also reception. Yeah. And I think that is an employer's increasing role to do those things that are like a little softer of a skill than I think companies Mm -hmm. may have embraced in the past. But I think one of the things employees have to do, especially working parents and very especially working moms is set their boundaries once they become parents. And you may not know what that looks like for you right away if you're a brand new mom, but learning to set boundaries between kind of your work and your life, that's one of the first steps you have to take to proactively carve out some of that balance. And basically setting a boundary means kind of deciding where you're going to draw your limits, but then communicating that to your employer and and to your team in a respectful and reasonable way. So a boundary could be as small as, hey, I'm not able to check my email after five o'clock because I'm spending time with my children, but I'll get back to you when I'm back in the office tomorrow. Or, hey, I have to leave every single day at five o'clock to pick up my baby from daycare because because they close. So like, that's not negotiable. So I have to leave at five o'clock. If there's something you need after that, I will try to log back on at eight o'clock to see if there's any fires or else I'll respond to your email or anything you need tomorrow when I'm back at work. Mm -hmm. So I think setting some boundaries, communicating them to their employers and their teams, and maybe even employees who work for them is a really important part of stepping into that role as a working parent and not burning out at work, which benefits everyone. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I also think, well, technology, So I love that like Apple, at least because I have Apple products, has these like features now where you can like put like only if there's an emergency, can you get through to me during this time period? And you can put like focus or exercise or whatever it is you're doing. And so you could have like family time on there or whatever and like have it not send you unless it's an emergency. And I love that because I feel like, you know, one of the things my husband has taught me because I used to hate that he was just not a responsive phone person. Like we're all like really quick to respond to each other and we all get anxiety when someone doesn't respond. And my husband's like, look, the phone is my tool. It's a tool for me. I don't work for my phone. And mm. Ooh, love I know, that. I, know. I, <laughs> yeah. I did not love it in the beginning, but I do love it now because right. we are such, we have become such slaves to our technology. And this is a topic for another day. But if somebody starts, e- if your boss emails you that power dynamic is like, oh my gosh, I need to respond. So if you see it, you're going to have that anxiety, even if you try to keep your boundary and not respond. 
And so I think being able to like block those messages and then your boss can be like, oh, this is an emergency. So I'll put, do the push thing or whatever. Fine. But at least you're not getting bombarded by those messages. I feel like that's how we make it work for us. And I also think if your employer asks you for information and you just say everything's fine and you don't tell the truth, you're not transparent with what's really happening and what your needs really are, then you are going to be just as much as fault with the what's happening with your industry as everyone else. Yes. I think that's kind of hard. And I feel like I don't know if what I'm about to say is what the masses would agree with. But mm-hmm. I think that if we are, if we as employees and people who work for companies are asking for more support in our work life integration and in our personal life and in our parenthood kind of ups and downs, I don't think we have to explain every single detail to our employers, but I do think giving them real context about why something's important to us or why it's affecting us in a certain way is helpful. So I think giving context as much as you're comfortable with to your employer without complaining, without giving too many gory details about how many times you were up last night because you had mastitis and you had to feed the baby and that mastitis means your boobs are swollen. You don't have to say all that, but being transparent, like, Hey, look, I'm having a little bit of a tougher time than I thought transitioning back to work from having my child. And I, here's how I might be able to use some extra support. Or can we talk about what that might look like? I mean, keeping it professional, but giving the context, I think is a way um, employer employees can help their employers understand what they're going through. Yeah, I agree. No, I, I think what you, the way you just described, like, yes, we don't have to give them details, but I think there's an idea of stay under the radar, like put on a happy face, be never complain kind of thing. And that's just not, that doesn't promote change. Like change, we need feedback. Being able to take feedback, being able to hear if you're not doing well at something is important. It doesn't mean you're not doing well at everything. It just means there's something that you need to improve on. Yeah. But I think that something that, that give along, get along, whatever that phrase is that I can't remember what it is, go along to get along, maybe. Anyways, whatever it is that you're just supposed to be up. It's that same sense that if somebody says, Hey, how are you? And you're like, Oh, fine. How are you? And that's what you always say, but you're not fine. And you're struggling. No one will ever know that you're struggling and no one will ever be able to support you or bring or come to your aid if they can. And I think community is important. And that's kind of the transparency that I think is so valuable is, yeah, like you were saying, parenthood's a lot harder than I realized it was going to be. We, nobody knows. I mean, nobody knows how hard it is until they are in it. People will say they know, but until they're experiencing it, it's a whole new ball game, you know? And that's not the only thing, like other stuff, like some people care for aging parents, or I have a friend who has a disabled sibling that they care for. Yeah. There's a lot of things going on in people's lives that are beyond their jobs. And I think being able to be transparent about what's going on to the extent you're comfortable, these are my needs right now, is really important, really important. And it's really important for employers to say, okay, let's try this and come up with some solutions with them and then have some trust. Because what the research is showing right now is we don't actually need 40 hour weeks. Like actually the shorter weeks people get more done in because they learn to manage their time more effectively. And there's really, really good studies coming out on that right now. I totally agree with that, but it's hard for me to see 
big corporate America embrace that anytime soon. There might be some outliers and some early adopters, which I'd love to see, but, you know, and even especially where we live here in Houston, Texas, which is very traditional in a lot of ways, it's hard for me to see that companies will maybe transition to that, but I hope for that. But I mean, in the meantime, like you said, like there, there just are creative ways for, for organizations to help approach this. I actually, obviously COVID and the work from home movement, I think showed people and showed the world that it's possible to be productive in a different way, to conduct business in a different way. And one thing that I talk to a lot of moms about a lot of working moms who are trying to figure out maybe how to approach that, whether they're brand new or they're a couple years in is to think about flexible work arrangements and to have kind of an open conversation with their boss or their company about that. And so a flexible work arrangement could be like flex time where, you know, basically you're working the same amount of hours per week, but kind of your employer doesn't care when you're getting it done. So if you have to leave early or you want to leave early, cause you want to catch your daughter's ballet recital, no one's questioning you because it's kind of understood. You'll make up that extra hour somewhere else during the week. So flex time's a good option for that or a compressed work week, which is something I ended up moving to in my last job before I started my own company, which was I worked the same amount of hours, but in four days instead of five. And so I basically added, I think how I can't even think about how it worked out, but it was like, I kind of added like an hour, maybe an hour and a half to each day. No, an hour. I'm not good at math. Okay. But it worked. And I I worked um, a little bit more every day, but then I got Fridays off and I could use that Friday. However I wanted, whether it was spending time with my son, doing something for myself or attending to my house and my laundry and everything that had to be done. And then another flexible arrangement, obviously is working from home. And then like a big, another, another big flexible arrangement, I guess, or a step down is considering if you're a working mom, if maybe part-time work might be kind of a long-term slash temporary solution as you're getting used to being a working parent. But I think getting creative with how we work is Mm -hmm. an important conversation that needs to be had. Yeah. And I think it goes back to trust. It goes back to, we can try, we can try the compressed week. We can try shortening your hours and see if you can get all the stuff done. We need you to get done. And then, you know, we'll reconvene, we'll come back. If it's not working, we can talk and we'll find another solution or we'll say what's not working. We have to work around it. But that's how growth happens, right? That's how we learn new things. That's how we make things work and make things work effectively, efficiently and successfully, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, oh, I do want to talk about this because the strain, we, we kind of noted this at the beginning, but the the strain on having dual income households that that ever increasing demands of home life and job life and all those things. And I know you and your husband both work. And so I'm wondering how do you and your husband navigate all the challenges, all the demands that come up as dual income, as a dual income family and what's some advice on how we can mitigate the negative impacts of jobs on our home life. Yeah. That's such a big and good question. And there could and should be a whole other podcast about that. But a few thoughts, because yes, my husband, actually, as of right now, he just got promoted to partner at his oh, law firm. Wow, so he has exciting. you know, a big job. Yep. And I work full-time, run two businesses and 
yes, like that there's a strain on our home life, whether that's how we feel about the kids some days or how we feel about each other some days or how much laundry gets piled up before anything happens to it. I think, I think the real root of the problem is, and I don't have this all figured out even in my own household, but I think the yucky question that comes up is like, well, who makes more money? And therefore Mm. is their job quote unquote more important, right? Because yeah, I mean, I think that's self-explanatory. I think that's the ugly thought that comes up in people's heads sometimes, which is like, if the, if one person is the breadwinner, is their job more important? And therefore is my job less important? And how does, what does that mean? I don't have a great answer for that, but I would direct anyone who's having those kinds of problems or, or thoughts to look into the fair play book by Eve Rodsky that has changed me and my husband's life and our relationship as dual income working parents. The book is basically a really practical approach that's based in research about how to divvy up domestic tasks in your household. Usually it's meant for working or it's meant for parents. And I believe it's really probably meant for working parents or more beneficial to them, but it, it talks about an approach for how to figure out what feels fair, maybe not equal, but what feels fair in your household based on your unique situation, based on each of your work hours, each of your salaries, each of your strengths. And how do you combine all of that to make a, a new system that is like actually sustainable for everyone. And so with the book, which is really interesting in itself, but with the book comes a card game because in the book explains the card game in theory, and then you can actually buy the cards separately, but you basically, all these cards have different responsibilities on them. Everything from laundry to dishes, to pet care, to lawn care, to who buys the kids clothes, to who is in charge of children's doctor's appointments, gifts, magic making like Easter and Christmas. And it's amazing how many cards there are. And then there's a process in which you and your partner go through the cards and each you, you end up each holding your set of cards for what you're the primary responsible person for. Mm -hmm. And the process of that alone, just having those conversations can be really eye-opening as parents and when you're in a relationship. I, quite frankly, when I went through this with my husband, we just did it one night. We made margaritas and tried to make it fun because it was kind of a, I was worried it was going to get a little contentious, but I really was resentful at that time. I thought he wasn't doing like anything. I was like, you just get to wake up every morning and go to work. You don't even really have to do the morning routine because you go so early, you miss it. And, you know, then you come home and I have dinner made and you like give the kids a bath and a kiss. Good night. Like what the heck he, it turns out from looking at these cards was doing so much more than I thought. He has a lot of invisible work himself that he does to support our family. I mean, he manages all of our bills, including healthcare, our insurance, our mortgage, everything that comes through. He's I don't, I never look at them. I mean, that's just the way it is in my household. He is very much more a money person. He takes care of them. He makes sure our lawn is taken care of. When something's broken outside, he makes sure we have someone to fix it. He actually does the dishes and the laundry (laughs) more so than me. And I think when we went through the process, he was very, 
I think he was very shocked as well when we went through the process, looking at all the cards that I had in my hand of like, oh yeah, there's actually, you know, a separate card, a separate responsibility for buying kids clothes because they grow so fast. So that's something you're constantly, someone has to think of how many doctor's appointments am I going to and changing my schedule around all the kids school stuff, enrollment papers and show and tell and things like that. I manage all of that in addition to my work. So that has been life-changing for us. Fair play by Eve Rodsky. I, I would recommend it to any, any parents, but especially parents, both of whom work. And I think that's like the, the only best thing that I can say about trying to divvy that up. It's a, it's a unique journey for everyone, but I think really, if you could start with that book and that, you know, quote unquote game, I think that's the best thing you can do for yourself. Yeah, no, I love that. I love that game. I haven't heard of that. I'll have to go look into it because uh, maybe get it for our office because that's what I was thinking. What a great visual because we don't see what the other person is doing. And if you just describe it, like that doesn't create that visual either, but having a visual of cards or a list or something where you can like actually see what everyone's doing can be so helpful because that's where that resentment comes from. You only are in the world you're in. You only see what you see, right? And so if you feel like you're the one doing everything and you forget about stuff that's not getting done, then yeah, you can only see what you're doing. And so being able to see what the other person's doing, A, helps with that resentment that's been building up. And B, it also makes people feel seen for what they're doing because it feels really lonely and pointless when you're working your butt off to get all these things done for your household. And to take care of things on either end, like the person who's trying to create financial stability and the person who's just trying to get the daily tasks done or whatever, however you divvy it up, it can feel really like, what's the point? This is thankless. This is why am I doing this kind of thing? And then we are resentful. And, and I find that that leads to a lot of conflict with couples that I see is like, I'm doing everything. They don't see it and they do nothing. I know. And one more thing I will say I real fast on that too is I think that fault goes back to the, if a tree falls in the forest and no one's there to listen, does it make a sound quote? Mm -hmm. You have to advocate for yourself a little bit inside your home too. So like the other day I changed some light bulbs that were burnt out and really annoying. My husband and I have never talked about how annoying they are, but I know we both think they're annoying. I changed Mm -hmm. them. And, you know, I didn't, I knew he would notice eventually. I didn't know when, but I told him, I was like, Marshall, go look at the bathroom. I changed the light bulbs for us. And he was like, wow, thank you so much. But like, Mm -hmm. I needed to kind of advocate for this very small, tiny thing I did, or he really gets on me about not doing the dishes fast enough for him. And so when I do, I'm like, Hey, did you see that I did all the dishes like before you came home? So I think it's okay to kind of do some of those little bragging moments to your spouse to make sure you're recognized for your efforts. And then the final thing is my husband and I used to, it's been a while, which we need to do it again. We used to have a little whiteboard up where we would just write notes back and forth to each other. Not always love notes, but more like appreciation notes. Like, thank you so much for taking out the trash in the rain. Or Mm -hmm. I saw that you reorganized the kids' toys that were bothering me. Thank you. Or things like that. So I think acknowledgement. And so whether it's you acknowledging your spouse or you kind of acknowledging yourself to your spouse is a powerful tool as well. Yeah. And practicing gratitude, I think is super important. I mean, all areas of life, but 
We are, as I talk about this a lot, as a survival species, we are prone to look for what's wrong, what's not right, what's a threat. And because our brain naturally does that, we tend to miss, we like to criticize and we tend to miss what's right and, or not miss it, but not really care about it because it's right. So we don't need to fix it. Don't need to do anything with it. But really what we do need to do with it is say, thank you so much. This is amazingly helpful. I actually assign that to couples a lot because it totally changes the conversation when every night they have to just like thank each other for one thing or tell each other three things they appreciate from Mm, the day. mm, So good. Yeah. Um, But I think, again, I love that book and card idea. I do think that communication, I think all of this, employee-employee relation, all of this is communication. Like, how much are you talking? Like, maybe your job is, um, like, I have a cat doing the litter box is one of my jobs. But there's times where I'm like, I can't do the litter box today. I'm running late because I do it on trash days. And I'm like, would you mind doing it? Right? So there's communication there. So there's connection communication, but there's also task organization communication. And can you help me here? And where where's the give and take? Yeah, totally. What would you say your key takeaway piece is for if, if people get only one thing out of this conversation, what do you hope it is? I think in all of our relationships, whether that's at work or at home, need to feel comfortable humanizing things and keeping an open line of communication. So when you're at work, if you're the employer, keeping an open line of communication and making it clear that you welcome feedback and thoughts and concerns from your employees. Um, When you're at work and you're the employee, asking for what you need, whether that's support for being a new working mom or something that you need whether that's the support you need as a new working mom or something else that's going on in your personal life that you need to be a little bit creative or flexible on, you know, that you want to open that conversation up with your employer. And when you're at home, keeping lines of communication open to your partner and to yourself about what you need, whether that's self-care moments, alone time, help or support with the daily tasks or anything like that. So I think that a key takeaway here is that we have to be honest, we have to be human, and we have to communicate what we need. Yeah. No, I thought that was perfect. And have grace, right? I mean, I feel like a lot of the time I was like, have some grace, give people some, that humanness aspect, have some space. We're not going to be perfect all the time. And then I'll add back in my little awareness piece because I do think it's important. I talk a lot to people about being aware of what's happening inside of you, what your beliefs and reactions are. And then what you are, how that is getting projected. And I think that's important in all relationship communication. But I thought that was perfect. Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate this conversation. Thank you for having me. I feel like we could have gone on forever and ever. I know. We probably don't <laughs> make like six episodes out of just one yes, talk, one right? Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to help us reach more listeners, please share it with someone you know, post about it on social media, and leave a rating or review. To see what's coming next, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Nick Finn Council, or visit our website at finnegancounseling.org. Before I go, I'd also like to thank the people who made this project possible our wonderful experts who joined me for each episode, our production team at Three Wire Creative, 
our editor and production assistant, Giselle Dixon, and the amazing leadership team and supporters at Nick Finnegan Counseling Center in Houston, Texas. Until next time.